Pray with me real quick before we start the message. Um, Jesus, I want to glorify you and uh, thank you for your love and your providence and the amazing things you do around the world and through us here at Risen Hope. I pray, Lord, use me as a conduit for your word this morning or this afternoon so that uh, you would be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, so the passage I want to start us off with this today is uh, Revelation 5. Um, so keep your Bibles ready. We've got quite a few verses to go through today, and uh, we'll just read the whole chapter. So Revelation chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And we had, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed your people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voices of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down in worship. So that's a long passage, but uh, I'd like us to turn our attention to verse 9 and 10 specifically. Right, so this is a song that the four living creatures and the elders were singing in heaven. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. And so what we see here, and, you know, it was a vision to, to John, so, you know, he did see it. Um, and the, like I said, this is a song sung in heaven by angels and uh, the four, 24 elders and the four living creatures, whoever they are. Um, but this is a song about what Jesus did, right? He said... Uh, ransom people for God from every tribe, language, people, group, and nation. 
whom Jesus made a kingdom and priests to God who are to reign on the earth. Now, this isn't a song about just a specific group. It's about everybody who considers themselves a Christian, basically. This is a song about the global church. It's about all of God's people here on earth, right? So this is, should set our th- start to set our thinking, our mind thinking about what does it mean to be a Christian here on earth, right? Um, God does not separate uh, people or divide Christians into specific people groups. Instead, this is a song about pulling God's people out of every kind of context and making them, giving them a specific job uh, here on earth, right? This passage is the, it's probably one of the most quoted missions conferences and missions-themed church services. And that's wonderful. But the thing we have to keep in mind about the book of Revelation is that it's written by John for the whole church, right? He doesn't specify all right, John, just this is the message I want you to give to missionaries. Right? We, we, in, you know, in fact, John specifies in the first chapter of, of Revelation, uh, starting with verse 1. The re- revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, the things that must take place soon. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. It's great that many Christians will use this verse as motivation for missions, but the reality is that when God was revealing to John these things that are to happen, the revelation was supposed to be taken seriously by every single person in the church, every single person who considers to them to themselves to be a servant of Christ. And this means that Revelation 5:10 um, is meant to be taken serious and be a motivation for life by every single person. Right? It's not just for missionaries or who are considering to go to, you know, the world and preach the gospel to all nations. It means that all Christians. Uh, you know, this verse is applicable to all Christians. You know, another important thing about this passage is that it's like a teaser trailer, right? And those who work with video and other media know that teaser trailers are about a movie or something else or about a video game that's almost complete. And uh, we're just showing you a preview. And so this wasn't like God called John into his office and said, all right, here are my goals for 95 AD. Go and make it happen, right? Get your group of people together. We're, we're going to, you know, finish 95 strong. We're going to get more people into the church. No, it's like, John, here's what I'm doing and here's what I'm about to do with the church. And the message is like the church, are you either going to join with this vision and make it happen? Or, you know, it's like, you're contradicting God. The point of revelation is so that the church will align all her goals and all her visions to be that, what God has planned. And my goal for this message is that we align our hearts with what God has intended for the church and for the world. 
um, so that our desires become his desires. It's not about forcing yourself into something, but changing our heart's desires so that we have, we join with the heart of God um, so that we're driven not by our own desires, but by what God has called us to do, what God has said he will do. Right? We shouldn't have a doubt about what God is going to accomplish. Um, it's like, now think about it, on the plane of existence and reality, it's hard for us to fathom, but God has basically already accomplished this because he has shown God, uh, John what's going to happen. And so for us to ignore that is like, basically we're saying no to what God is calling us into. Now, I imagine there's probably a lot of questions that pop up when it comes to these sorts of things. And I want to start by, you know, answering some of them. And one of those is probably why are people separated into different cultures and languages in the first place? Now, I want you to understand that these cultures, languages, ethnicities are not sinful into themselves, but separation came about as the result of sin. And um, the Bible tells us the exact moment when this happened. And you all know the story, the Tower of Babel. And let's remind ourselves by reading Genesis 11, uh, 4 through 9. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let's make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. You know, ironic. And the Lord came down to, the, to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will be possible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from the, there from over the face of the, all the earth. And they left, left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over all the face of the earth. And verse 4 in this passage gives us the reason why separation and division between mankind exists today. And the reason is mankind wanted to glorify themselves. They said, let us build ourselves a city and let us make a name for ourselves. There was nothing God glorifying about their pursuits. What they set out in their hearts is a direct opposite to what God had prepared in Revelation, the vision he showed John where all people before the throne of God were crying out with loud voice and saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. They wanted to take all of that for themselves, right? They wanted a big tower with their name on it. And so being unified in Christ before the throne of God means giving all glory to God's name and making him famous. I mean, the natural inclination of mankind's heart is to glorify oneself. It is to lift oneself up on the pedestal, to build a tower that bears my name. Anything done in order to give glory to anything or anyone other than God is rebellion against God and contradicts the first commandment, the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and soul and strength. And... 
we find the roots of this sin in the Garden of Eden in the first temptation. Uh, Genesis 3, 4 and 5 reminds us of this temptation. Uh, But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Adam and Eve were tempted by the thought of being like God. And this is the same temptation that led to the separation at the Tower of Babel. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Basically elevating to themselves in the place of God. They wanted to be gods. They wanted to receive the glory and worship for their accomplishments. And I'm afraid the same temptation of pride and glory exists today. And it's the reason behind the divisions and separations we exist, uh, experience between cultures, ethnic groups. You know, even to this day, we have ethnic wars in other countries. Uh, we have racism against other people groups. There are many religions and sects and cults that have came out because of the separation and pride that exists in our heart because God's word for us is never good enough. We want to set the moral laws. We want to set the regulations. I mean, that's one reason we have so many denominations in our even Christian church because of prideful disagreements between brothers. Um, and raising one's own self. You know, it's coming back to building my own kingdom, my own name, and making myself famous. And you think how many Christians organizations, so-called, are built around a person's name. And we have experienced seeing the downfall of that in our own time. And so, how do we know that this vision that God has showed John is not just for heaven. You know, it's awesome that it's going to be fulfilled in heaven, but it's different here on earth, isn't it? But I think, uh, you know, it's, you might guess that uh, I'm implying that it's not, and you'd be right. We know this because God started the work of joining back the nations and uh, bringing people about himself through Abraham. Let's go back to the beginning of the Bible. We start in Revelation. We're going going to follow that little line back to Abraham. In Genesis 22, 15 through 18. Whoa. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. There are two important promises here that I would like us to remember and we're going to talk a little bit about both of them but so keep the first one in your in mind. Uh, the one that says your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. But in the second promise, we read that God has sworn to Abraham that in his offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so even though Israel was God's chosen special people, um, 
we read here that even in the promise to Abraham, who the Israelites regarded as their father, all, you know, his offspring were to bless all the nations of the earth, meaning they were supposed to preach and proclaim God's goodness and God's law to the whole earth, right? They weren't meant to just settle in the land of Canaan and just stay there. They were supposed to spread out and bless the whole earth. Um, and through Jesus that came to us, right? That mantle of spreading the good news of God to bless the nation uh, was bestowed upon the church as it is written in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The words here, people for his own possession, meaning not for our own possession, not for our own name. I mean, it's meant to unify us, not to build a name for ourselves, but to proclaim, you know, the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness, meaning Jesus. We're supposed to build a nation for Jesus, for the living God. And so what's even more amazing is that when God, when God gives this vision to John in Revelation, he reaffirms this uh, proclamation of our identity, right? If we go back to Revelation 5.10, he says, you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth, right? Basically paraphrasing what the Spirit said through Peter. And what we see happening is that God started to redeem the divided and separated mankind in Abraham. When he separated mankind at the Tower of Babel, you know, that was, uh, you know, kind of catastrophic because it set back a lot of the cultural and technological, you know, advancements that were made. But at the same time, God's intention was never for mankind to stay there. God was using the separation that happened because of sin to redeem his people once again. And uh, his goal for this redemption was to continue through the church, through us. And we see this call to unity to continue his work, you know, throughout the gospel, but there's some parts that are more clear. And uh, Paul pretty explicitly reveals God's desire for his church to live in unity, as we, read, uh, we can read in Philippians 2, uh, verse 1 through 11. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affections and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself 
to become obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the, at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, there are tons of implications that uh, we don't have time to go through uh, today, but I want us to touch on a couple things. And the first is that in the first half of this passage, there is a direct call to being unified. Uh, Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So this unity is not just about gathering together in one building or gathering, you know, in one place. This unity is about our hearts, our minds, our souls and spirits to be joined to what God has set out to do, what he has sworn to Abraham and what he's shown John. And then Paul reminds us that unity in Christ is not building about a name for ourselves, but it is about serving one another. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It's not about building a tower for ourselves or a city. You know, remember the visions that God showed John? We are to recognize ourselves as servant of God. And that means serving him and serving one another. And always keeping in mind that the goal of unity is to glorify God. Uh, when it comes to serving one another and counting others more significant than yourselves or ourselves, is not always going to be pleasant because it can mean we have to give up things that are a part of our identity. You know, things like our language, our culture, our nationality, our tastes and food and music and entertainment. And it can be very painful because we've made a lot of th these things an integral part of our ourselves. And, uh, but the thing is, it can also be sinful because if we know that God is calling his church, his people to one thing, but we're saying, no, this other thing is more important to me it becomes an object of our worship and an idol. And we use it as a, an excuse to disobey God, right? Instead of ripping it off and saying, you know, Lord, it's not worth it. You're more pleasant. You're more joyful. I'm going to leave this at the cross at your feet. We're like, no, God, I like this the way, you know, I like me the way I am and I'm not willing to change. And that's the cause of a lot of separation and division between Christians and churches today. You know, I don't know, I haven't heard any, any of you reason this way, but I've often in the past said these things in my own heart. Um, you know, there's a culture that, there's food that I don't like or the type of music they play during their worship. And uh, I said, you know, I'm not going to go to that church or worship with these people because of these um, things that are seemingly minuscule and unimportant on the grand scale of eternity and what God has prepared for us. And these things become, you know, building a, about building a name for myself and building a tower for myself and putting mis myself up on that tower. 
And if my life is not about accomplishing what God has sworn to do, but what I want to do, you know, that's the reason God says he opposes the proud. And if we're building a lie, our lives to serve our own interests and building in our own names, we are doing the opposite of what Jesus has called us to do in Philippians. Where unity with other believers means doing nothing, nothing out of selfish conceit or selfish ambition. You know, otherwise we're just going back to the Tower of Babel. The source of division and separation from one another and from God. But the wonderful thing about Jesus is that he demonstrated and showed us that it is possible to strip all those pieces from one's earthly identity. Uh, he, Paul reminds us in Philippians 2 verses 5 through 11. You know, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Right? The things that we often so long for to set our own morals and our own truths, you know, placing ourselves equal to God, basically. Even Jesus said equality with God is not you know, a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We see here that Jesus was able to do that first. He showed mankind that it is possible, even though for Jesus it meant losing his life. And the amazing thing is why, why Jesus did that. And it reminds us about what our purpose is and what our purpose will be in heaven, which is so that every tongue confess, right? Every tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus did it so that every tongue worships and glorifies Jesus. And because Jesus did it, Paul was able to proclaim the same thing. Uh, in Philippians, he writes to, to the Philippians in chapter 3, 5 through 8. He says, Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. See, Paul was willing to, and able to strip away all the things that may have become obstacles for him in his ministry to preach Jesus, to preach the gospel to all nations. And that means that it's not unreasonable for God to expect us to do the same, even though it can be painful. But the wonderful thing about God, our Father, is that even though he's at, he might be asking us to do something that can be painful, he promises to give us a lot more in return. Right? The reward is Jesus Christ himself. 
The reward is the joy we can have by worshiping Jesus together with believers from around the world. By being unified, we get a glimpse, a little foretaste of the joy we'll have in heaven when we're worshiping Jesus together with the whole world, basically, all believers from around the world. A shadow of things to come, as Paul likes to say. You know, the goal here is not to purposefully cause ourselves pain, but to experience a greater joy by joining our heart's desire with what God desires for his church. It's about changing our desires, you know, not stripping ourselves away for, uh, for no reason. It's about taking something that is irrelevant to our lives in heaven and uh, filling ourselves up with God and his joy. Now, this question always comes up in, when we talk about unity and discuss uh, church unity is what about false doctrines, right? There's plenty of churches with bad teachings. And I want to be clear that being unified in Christ means being obedient to everything that Christ taught first, right? We don't sacrifice Christ's teaching um, just for a false unity. Remember, we are supposed to be unified in one mind, having one spirit. In fact, a lot of uh, spiritual gifts that the spirit gives to the church are about serving one another in church. One of them is um, translating and speaking in other tongues. A lot of people say that's only for spiritual tongues, but we've seen throughout the, you know, the church history that gift was given to people just so they can translate uh, one another in different languages. Another spiritual gift is uh, discernment. So we recognize when there are false teachings being preached and the church is giving a set of tools to deal with those things appropriately. So unifying around false teachings is not unity in Christ, but we're just creating another cult or uh, another denomination. And, but the enemy wants to keep it this way in this world and uh, there are plenty of good reasons for that. So remember what God said about the people at the Tower of Babel in Genesis eleven six. He said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And that is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. So God had to separate and divide mankind because they were rebelling against him. And if God knows the power of people united for a common cause and purpose, then so does our enemy. I mean, this is why he fights against believers being unified in Christ that causes so much division. Um, but let's also remember what Jesus proclaimed about his church. Um, in, ver in Matthew 16, 18, he says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We can go back to the promise that God made Abraham. He said, your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. He wasn't talking about earthly enemies. He was talking about Satan. And we know we also read once again, Revelation 5, 9. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. These promises that God made about his church you know, the church is supposed to be a global superpower. 
not physically, you know, not as a separate nation. We're not to conduct wars with other nations or people groups, but we are meant to conduct spiritual worship, I mean, warfare and worship against the enemy. We are supposed to, as one people group, stand against the gates of hell. But because we succumb to the temptations of Satan, we are separated and divided, and we have you know, a lot of fear today against doing that. So many countries, so many nations that were previously like basically spiritual superpowers, like Denmark and Germany, are not, have barely any more Christians left. Um, and if you read church history, you'll know how much wars were people, like people fought physical wars because of church division and separation. In addition to the joyful taste of heaven we can experience in worshiping Jesus together, the goal of church unity here on earth is that so we as one people can attack the gates of hell so that we can save more people for the glory of God. The enemy knows this. He knows how powerful a people unified can be. And that's why he puts so much energy into dividing us by tempting us to be our own gods, by tempting us to set our own moral standards and rules and uh, separate from one another. He wants us to be back at that Tower of Babel, um, divided and not being able to con you know, conclude our plans to build, a to build a tower and a city for our God. Now, obviously God wants us all to be active participants in his work through, uh, through his church here on earth and in this life, but we're not all called to be missionaries to other nations. And so the question can be, how do we join God in accomplishing his plans? Now, the first step is, you know, changing our desires. Now that's impossible to do, you know, forcing our minds to change. So the first practical step begins with prayer. Um, we have to, pray fervently that God changes our hearts and gives us minds that allow him to work in us so that we can get the same joy that all believers have around the world so that we have that common love that Paul talks about so that when we see a brother or a sister from another country, we desire those familiar relationships so that when we're in the same building together, there's no awkwardness. There's no feeling of strangeness but it's like you're coming home. Um, I like to travel and I've been to different churches around the world and it's, it's joyful, it's happy to be in the same building knowing even though I don't understand these people, what language they're saying, but I know they're worshiping Jesus. And it's just like a piece of heaven. You know, God may ask us to, to go through that awkwardness, to go through the pain of giving things up, but he promises so much more in return. He promises things just like in Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. God always gives fullness. When he asks us to give something up, we can be sure that it will be replaced with something much greater and more wonderful. Now, before we close, and prepare uh, our hearts for communion, I want to remind you that 
this, uh, the bread and the wine that we eat and drink, it's Jesus's body that was broken for us and the blood that was spilled for us, but it's also a sacramental symbol, a holy symbol that we are one with him and that we belong to his body, the church, right? This is something that we share with every single believer here on earth. You know, on Sundays, Saturdays, whenever believers meet, they remember Jesus's blood, Jesus's body that was crucified for us. Before I pray though, I wanna leave you with one last thought. Um, let's read John 12, 20 through 26. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, but whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, my father will honor him. Now, even though Jesus came to preach the good news to the Jews first, this passage was a pivotal moment for the church and in Jesus's ministry, because right after the Greeks came to see to find Jesus, right after this moment, Jesus went and had, you know, had the last supper with uh, his disciples. So God's promise was already starting to be fulfilled there in Jerusalem with Jesus. Other nations were seeking out Jesus to worship him because they have heard the good news about him. You know, in that moment, people were from all over the known world were in Jerusalem, the Jewish diaspora and others who came to hear about Jesus. It wasn't just the Jews and the Roman soldiers who witnessed his death. But the point that Jesus is making here is that to get to that point where we're worshiping with all nations, we must be willing to hate our lives here on earth, meaning to give something up of myself is not a problem. Something that can be important to me one day, I'm willing to throw in the trash because of the things that Jesus promises us. We must die to ourselves and grow in our new identity, which is a child of God. Paul reminds us in Galatians 3, 27 through 29, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Amazing how Jesus summarizes the whole story of our purpose, right? God promised something to Abraham and we are that promise that he made to Abraham. We are the ones that are meant to fulfill the promise God made to Abraham so that through us, all the nations of the world be blessed. And so that together with all the other nations, as Revelation says, we would glorify God and worship him. So as we listen to the worship team and we pray 
and we eat and drink the bread and wine, uh, let's ponder through John 20, 12, 25, and 26. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, um, you ask us to do in your word a great many things. It's difficult to die to ourselves, to give things up that are important to us, Lord. But you promise so much more wonderful things in return. Help us to yearn for those things, for your joy, for your peace, for the glory, for your glory, so that we together with all nations would glorify you one day in heaven. As we eat our bread and drink the wine that is supposed to represent your body, your blood, remind us about what it means to be your servant. In your name we pray. Amen.